Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all as we gather for worship on uh, this Lord's Day. Welcome to Providence Presbyterian Church. We're happy to have you with us here uh, this uh, morning. I'm Pastor Kenode. I'm the pastor of this church. We're, if you're visiting with us, we are happy to have you. We do hope you are blessed this morning that you are warmly uh, received. But it's good to see all of you that we might uh, worship the Lord our God uh, in this new year. So happy new year to everyone. Uh, before we begin our service of worship, we just have um, a few announcements, several announcements. Uh, this morning we will celebrate the sacrament of uh, Holy Communion, as you can see here. Also, an additional offering will be taken up this morning in support of the Deacon's Fund. Uh, the Deacon's Fund uh, goes towards helping those in the church who uh, might be in need. And so, um, uh, please consider giving to this fund. We'll do that later in the service. Also, uh, there's no evening service tonight. And uh, the women's Bible study is this Tuesday, January 9th at 10 a.m. Uh, also, uh, there's a women's fellowship event, a lunch, uh, that is scheduled uh, to be held at Outback Steakhouse this, or uh, not this Saturday, but Saturday, January 20th at 11 a.m. So that's in a couple of weeks. Um, if you are planning to attend that, it's a ladies' fellowship, uh, Saturday, January 20th, uh, please uh, speak to Linda Nelson. Uh, she's battling a cold today, so pray for her, but um, uh, she uh, should be around, so please uh, talk to her. Uh, also, uh, this Saturday, we are um, planning to have an inquirer's class for our church, Saturday, January 13th at 9 a.m. It usually goes until about 11.15 or so, uh, just a couple of hours. If you're interested in membership at Providence, uh, if you want to get to know our church a little bit more, um, uh, this is where you would go. This uh, class this Saturday, I will be teaching it. Uh, the class does not obligate you in any way, um, but this is the first step in becoming a member uh, of our church. So please uh, come talk to me if you're interested. Uh, that's this Saturday at 9 a.m. Uh, also, friends, if you would keep on uh, uh, one other thing, uh, we do have uh, the baskets out front for any food donations to, that will be taken to the local food pantry. Uh, if you would like to donate to that, please do so. Uh, also, if you would, keep on your minds and your hearts the various prayer requests that are listed there in the insert in your bulletin this week. Our family of the week is uh, the Crawford family, so please pray for Jim uh, and Mickey this week. And uh, just one other thing to mention, uh, I got word from uh, the Potts family that the baby is stable uh, currently, so we praise the Lord for that. Um, there was quite scary uh, moment there. Uh, with the baby uh, uh, is growing in Amanda's womb at, at, at the moment. And so, uh, but he is stable. Please continue to pray for the Potts uh, family and for this baby that is, is soon to be with us, Lord willing. So we, we, look forward, uh, we look forward to that. Well, friends, I believe that takes care of all of the announcements we have gathered here in the name of Christ to worship the only true and living God. Uh, as the music plays now, let us prepare our hearts to worship him.
To the saints of Providence Presbyterian Church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would now please stand as we hear God call us to worship him. From Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us now sing the doxology. bless you, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for having raised us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places given to us in him. We thank you, O Father, that, and praise you that you created all things and all things exist for your glory, and that you have redeemed us, your people, and gathered us to yourself that we might know you and worship you in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, forgive us of our sins and have mercy upon us as we enter into your presence this morning. Give us your grace. Give us your peace. Father, lift us up to the heavenly places that we might see and behold Jesus there. For we ask this all in the mighty name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, now and forevermore. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite you this morning to turn to the beginning of your, to the front of the Trinity hymnal on page Roman numeral 16, where you will find a list of the Ten Commandments. On page Roman numeral 16 at the front of your hymnal, you'll find a list of the Ten Commandments, which is a revelation of the moral law of God to man. Beloved, as we read the Ten Commandments, Uh, Together, let us be mindful of all the way in which we still fall short of God's glory, even as God's people have been redeemed from the curse of the law. Nevertheless, we fight against the sinful flesh, and the law reminds us of this. And the law should lead us to Jesus Christ so that we might find mercy and forgiveness in him. And God spoke all these words, saying... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, 
for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servants or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Well, beloved, having heard God's law, now let us recite the prayer of confession that is listed together in the insert in your bulletin. O Lord God, eternal and almighty Father, we confess and acknowledge before your holy majesty that we are poor sinners, conceived and born in iniquity and corruption, prone to do evil, incapable of any good, and that in our depravity we transgress your holy commandments without ceasing. Because of this, we purchase for ourselves through your righteous judgment, our eternal ruin. Nevertheless, O Lord, we are grieved that we have offended you, and we condemn ourselves and our sins with true repentance, beseeching your grace to relieve our distress. Have mercy upon us, O God, in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you blot out our sins, Magnify and increase in us day by day the grace of your Holy Spirit, that we may bring forth the fruit of righteousness through Christ. Amen. Well, beloved, God is gracious, He is merciful, and He has given us a ransom to purchase us from the wrath of God, which was due to our sin which is what we just read in the confession of sin. We purchased for ourselves eternal ruin. Well, eternal ruin came upon Jesus on the cross so that he might be our ransom. And so for all those who put their faith in him alone for salvation, the Bible gives us assurance that our sins have been forgiven as we see in 1 Timothy. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Amen. If you would now turn in your hymnals to Psalm uh, 32b, how blessed is he who's trespassed, Psalm 32b, and let's all stand together as we sing.
You may be seated. I would like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of uh, Philippians. We continue this morning through our series in the mornings through the book of Philippians by looking at uh, chapter 3 once again. Today we are going to look at verses 20 and 21. I would like to begin the reading in verse 17. So Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, beloved, before we hear God's word, if you would, uh, join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we do rejoice, for blessed is the one whose trespasses are forgiven. We thank you, Father, that we stand forgiven in your sight because of the blood of Jesus. And as your people, we are called to be holy as you are holy. And so we pray, Father, that as your word comes to us, this morning from the pages of Holy Scripture as the Gospel is proclaimed, we pray, Father, that you would till the soil of our hearts, that we might receive the seed of your word with joy, and that, might, that seed might dig deep roots into our hearts and so that we might bear fruit. We pray, Father, that we would receive this word, that we would think upon our citizenship in heaven and the King of this heavenly city, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do this good work in your people for the praise of your glory. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Beloved, this is the word of God. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself." The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Now, Paul does two things here. He does them simultaneously. The first thing he does is contrast the state and the mindset of the enemies of the cross with the state and the mindset of Christians. About the enemies of the cross, he says, their end, there, they, the enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. They glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our, you see the contrast there, but us, we, Christians, our, meaning we as Christians are not like them. We don't think like them. Our minds are set on something else. But our church, that is the church, Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. You see what he's doing there. Citizenship would have most likely, or the word citizenship used in this way, it most likely would have struck a chord with the members of the church in Philippi. Philippi at this time was a Roman colony. The citizens living in Philippi could claim Roman citizenship wherever they went. They were Romans, and so they were to be treated as such. 
At this time, there was much pride and prestige that came along with being a Roman citizen. The entire world at this time felt the unavoidable influence of the Roman Empire, its glory, its power. And so to be associated with Rome, the Roman Empire, was a prestigious thing. This was, after all, the most powerful empire in the world at the time. At the head of this empire was Caesar, or Lord Caesar, as he preferred to be called. In the mind of an everyday Philippian citizen who was at the same time a Roman citizen, in their minds, they perceived that every knee in the world bowed to Lord Caesar because he was at the top of this powerful empire. And so when Paul inserted the Christ hymn in chapter 2 where he says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, not Caesar, is Lord, he was saying something very profound. And he's saying something very profound again here. When he says to these Christians and he says to us, our citizenship is in heaven. This is something very profound for an everyday or would have been profound for an everyday Philippian citizen of Rome. Now, this is not unlike, or being a Roman citizen was not unlike being a citizen of the present American empire, if we could call it that, or the American nation. The fingers of the American empire in which we all live reach into every part of the world. There's almost no place that is not touched by the American presence, and we are part of that. We are American citizens. But friends, what we will see here, hopefully what we learn here, is that our ultimate allegiance is not to America. Our ultimate allegiance is not to America or any American president, though we should support them as they are voted in and pray for them. Paul tells us, pray for kings, pray for those in high places. We don't despise them, we support them and pray for them as far as we are able by God's word. We should honor them. Because leadership, as we are told in God's word, is set up by God himself. But we always keep in mind that our ultimate citizenship is not here in America, nor is it found anywhere else in this world, as it was for the Philippians. Their ultimate citizenship was not to be found in the Roman Empire. Our citizenship is in heaven. Again, he contrasts this fact, the state of believers, with the mindset of the enemies of the cross There, they, the enemies of the cross, their minds were set on earthly things because they belong to this world. That makes sense, does it not? People who are enemies of the cross like this world. They want to see this world as it is extend on into eternity. And so they do find allegiance in present empires, present nations. They do find their ultimate allegiance in the nations of this world because they like this place. They're at home. Their minds are set on earthly things. This present world is where they find their hope. Now, beloved, these enemies are not always easily easily recognizable, as we've stated before. This is why Paul commands the church to imitate him. Imitate him and others who are like him. Keep our eyes on people like Paul and Timothy. These men were heavenly minded. Find those people. Learn from them. Imitate them. People who think about heaven, who have their minds set on heaven. And as a result of having their minds set on heaven, they live out a life that exemplifies that fact. Paul and Timothy were two such people. And so Paul says, keep your eyes on them. 
Look away from these others who would distract you from your citizenship in heaven. These were men who actually lived their lives, they lived out their lives from a heavenly hope, not an earthly one. These were men who professed faith in Christ and they walked or they lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is who we should be imitating. This is who we should be looking to and seeing how they live, how they think. Paul, again, Paul is a great person to go to uh, for that. Now, why did Paul need to make this clear? Why did he need to say, why did he need to say, no, no, look over here. Don't look at them. Don't be distracted by these enemies of the cross. Look over here. Imitate me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Why did he have to do this? Because there are some who profess Christ in God with their mouths, but their hearts are far from him. In Paul's day, we've already seen at the beginning of this chapter that there was a Judaizing group of heretics. They threatened the church with their doctrine, with their practice. And they threatened the pure doctrine of the gospel. They what they did was commingle Jewish rites, even good laws from the Old Testament, with a heretical form of works righteousness, a salvation by works. Paul says, beware of them. There's some good things that they insert into their teaching that sound attractive. But if you dig deeper, you will understand that it is not the gospel. They're actually enemies of the cross. Now, in our day, friends... Uh, there's in, in every generation, there is a strong influence coming from teachers who, uh, who are at best confused and at worst, or be, at best confused and badly mistaken, and are at worst full-blown heretics, they, they, who lead people astray. And their particular doctrine, doctrine is one that does such thing. It commingles good things from the gospel with a kind of nationalism or a kind of pride in the nation in which you live. For us, it would be America. So we would call it an an American nationalism. And they fuse the doctrine of the gospel with being an American citizen. They fuse the doctrine of the gospel with nationalism. And we can extend it out to any other nation. This happens in other places as well. This is something we need to be aware of and to beware of. We need to look away uh, from this. This is something that's very prevalent uh, today. It's making headway in our circles. And what these teachers do, if they, pushed, if they are pushed far enough, these people and those who follow them are just like the enemies of the cross. Their minds will be set on earthly things because this present nation, as was the Roman Empire, is associated with this earth that is doomed to pass away. It is a temporary part of who you are today. It will not extend into eternity. But for these teachers, they want you to hope in this on some level. And so we need to be aware of them. Uh, Be aware of their teaching. Now, For anyone to put their hope and confidence in the flesh, Jewish nationalism, that was something that was present in Paul's day, Jewish ancestry, or to put their hope in any citizenship of any nation in this world, that person or group of people are placing their hope in something that is temporary. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our, where, is our, where are our minds to be set? On something permanent, eternal, something that doesn't fade away 
heaven. We are citizens of heaven. Of course, we are thankful for all that we have in any nation in which we live. But we recognize as Christians, as Christians, that this is temporary. American citizenship is temporary. Roman citizenship was temporary. Think about this. Paul is with Christ now. He's with Jesus. He's, he died. In his spirit, he is with Christ. Do you think that Paul still considers himself a Roman citizen? He was a Roman citizen for a time. Our citizenship is in heaven. For the Christian, what remains? If nations of this world do not remain, well, what remains? Well, our fundamental and permanent identity, where is that to be found? Our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to a heavenly city that can never be destroyed. It can never be overcome. It can never be defeated. That's the city I want to be a part of. That's the city I want to be associated with. And that's who we are associated with. That city, an eternal city. At base level, the members of the church, we the members of the church, we belong heart and soul to a heavenly empire, a heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. We are citizens of an abiding heavenly city that is ruled by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified. He was crucified to build and establish this city. Caesar, at the time this letter was written, was not a Savior. He is not the Savior of the world, nor will any other earthly leader be the Savior of the world. There is only one Savior of the world. Where is he? And over what kind of empire does he govern? It's this one, a heavenly empire. We are citizens of heaven in which Christ is. We have one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his throne is in heaven. Our bellies are not our God. Christ is the Lord. The God of heaven is our God. You see, again, the contrast between us as Christians and all the rest, particularly here, the enemies of the cross. And so, again, we are not to think like enemies of the cross. We are not to behave like enemies of the cross. That is what one of the points that Paul makes here. Now, the first thing that Paul does here is is contrast our heavenly citizenship with earthly citizenship. And that's what we've already seen. The second thing that he was also doing here is he was giving a stronger foundation for the original command. Join in imitating me. That's still in the air. He says, join in imitating me. And he's giving a a more firm foundation for that command to Christians. As citizens of heaven, we are told to keep our eyes on and imitate other leaders in this heavenly city and other members in this heavenly city, other Christians who possess that heavenly mindset, like Paul, like Timothy. We are to imitate them. We are to replicate them. We are to keep our eyes on them and so be heavenly minded. We should be then as a group, as a body, encouraging one another, supporting one another, praying for each other. That's, that's what being heavenly minded looks like. We pray for one another because we're destined for heaven and it's hard here, is it not? It's difficult to live in this wicked age. And so we have to support one another and, of course, imitate one another in in love, being examples for others to follow as citizens of Christ's eternal city. That is what we are to do, to keep our minds set on what is above, not what is below. Primarily what is above, not primarily what is 
below. Certainly we have to think about some things that are below, but we know that our ultimate identity is found above. Now again, we do not, as Christians, we do not repudiate our current national citizenship. We don't repudiate it. Paul didn't. Paul, in fact, employed his Roman citizenship at one point to save his own life. And so as, as far as we are, God's word allows us, we praise the Lord for being American citizens or whatever citizen you are, whatever earthly nation you are a part of. And so we don't repudiate it completely, our status that, is, that we find in these countries today, in these empires today. We give thanks to God for whatever benefits we enjoy in this life as a result of being a citizen of a particular nation. But our minds are not set there. Our minds are not set here. And we don't put our hopes in what we see here, in present leaders here in the civil realm. Our Savior is not here. You won't find him here. It certainly would be wonderful to have a Christian in leadership over a particular nation We pray to that end. But he would still, or she, would still not be a Savior. We have one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For us, we are to imitate Paul, imitate the leaders and examples that God has given us who have have a heavenly mindset about them. We are to think and act like them. And by God's grace, we are to make our heavenly citizenship known in this world. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. And in the context of this gospel, what does that look like? It looks like being unified. That's what it looks like. To be unified in the gospel. Heavenly heavenly mindedness should have an impact on the way in which we interact with one another and we serve one another in love. Now Paul does something interesting here. He He doesn't move from a statement about our heavenly citizenship and then spend time talking about how our heavenly citizenship should shape our lives presently. That, of course, is implied. We are supposed to imitate Paul. Rather, he moves from saying assertively, our citizenship is in heaven, to talking about the future hope that we have as citizens of this heavenly city. The first such hope that we have as citizens of heaven is that the leader of this city is returning. He is going to return. Our Savior, who is not presently with us, Jesus Christ, will return. We are awaiting his return, as Paul says. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this waiting period is significant, friends, because presently, what do we experience? We experience sharing in Christ's suffering. We don't yet share in his glorification. We suffer. We suffer under the hands at times of tyrannical nations outside of us, even tyrannical laws within our own nation. We suffer as Christians. And so... But when Jesus comes again, of course, that suffering will end. But presently, we share in Christ's suffering, as Paul was sharing in Christ's suffering as he languished in prison. Now, we may not be in prison for our faith, but we do suffer. We are confronted with temptations on all sides. We are persecuted by the world at times. We fight against sin. And so we suffer and we wait. We wait eagerly for the return of our leader. Now, part of the suffering that we endure, friends, is directly related to our heavenly citizenship status. We wake up every day, friends. We wake up every day in this life not belonging here. As much as we enjoy our homes, ultimately those aren't our homes. 
Even in our own homes, we are foreigners, we're aliens. We wake up every day not belonging here. We don't belong here. This is not our home. We live each day of our lives as aliens, as foreigners. Some of you know what this is like. Perhaps you've moved here from another nation, or perhaps you've moved from here to another nation. You know what it's like to have to spend the time to incorporate yourself into that nation's culture and practices. Well, this is us always as Christians. We're always foreigners. We'll never, we'll never be incorporated into the ways of this world fully. So as aliens, we wait. We wait patiently for the return of our Savior. He is surely coming. And when he comes, his empire, his kingdom, which is largely invisible today, it will overtake the world. That is what will happen. And that's the difference between what happens in the nations and empires of this world. They think they can overtake the world. The leaders of these empires think they will succeed, and that's what they want. We see it all the time. It's not happening in other parts of the world, even as we speak. Empires, nations, leaders of empires, they want to gobble up more and more of the earth in an effort to overtake the earth. But God's word promises, promises us that that will never happen. The Roman Empire was, was one such empire. But they can't. The empires of this world will not And they can't. The earth belongs to Jesus Christ. When he returns, he will destroy this earth and he will bring into existence a new one, a new Jerusalem where righteousness will reign. And he will give that earth, the new heavens and the new earth, to you. And that's where you belong. When that happens, when Jesus comes again and you are there with him in the new heavens and a new earth, in his empire, That is when you will finally feel at home, all of us. We will no longer feel like foreigners. We will no longer feel like aliens. That is when we will feel like this is where we belong. Because that is where we belong. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, when Jesus, friends, comes, make no mistake that he will come in power. Paul mentions this power in verse 21, the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Uh, Right now, beloved, Jesus reigns. He's been given all authority over heaven and earth. All things fall out in history according to his wise plan. The, The rise of empires, the fall of empires, the rise of kings, the fall of kings. They all, it all happens according to Christ's wise and eternal plan. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. But we don't see that, do we? We don't see it. It's very difficult to look out into our current landscape and to see the wickedness that seems to reign in so many places and think that Jesus reigns. It's difficult for us to see with our physical eyes, but nevertheless, it's there. He's reigning. He reigns over your heart. He reigns over your mind. He's advancing his kingdom. So it's largely invisible presently to us. But when Jesus returns, however, this power that Paul mentions will be made known to all. He will subdue all rulers, all authorities, all earthly power. He will put all of our enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed being death itself, and he will reign in the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever. His power will be unmistakable. Now, friends, this is all wonderful for all of us, the church as a whole. Of course, this, is, this gives us hope. 
right? This gives us a real hope on which, upon which to cling. But Paul makes it very personal here too. When Jesus returns, his arrival from heaven and the eternal power that will accompany his second coming will immediately be viewed and experienced by every person who's ever lived. And the whole world will experience that power. And his coming will immediately cause a physical change in us. Our present broken, lowly bodies will then be glorified. Paul says here they will be transformed. These same bodies, he says, our bodies, it's this body that will be transformed. And so it's your body you have today, but it will be altogether different then when Jesus comes again. It will be like his glorious body. And what is Christ's body like today? Well, his body today is indestructible. His body is not susceptible to death. It is a spiritual body, a body that is fit for heavenly dwelling. A body fit for a heavenly city. That's what Christ's body is like today. And when he comes again, that is what our bodies will be like. By his power. By the power of his coming, our bodies will take on a form that is fit for heaven. No longer susceptible to death. No longer susceptible to sin. Indestructible. Glorified. It is then, friends, again, and really only then, that we as Christians, as citizens of heaven, will finally feel at home. We don't feel at home in this world. Often we don't feel at home in our bodies because they break. They break down. They cause us pain. But then, you won't feel that way anymore. We'll be at home. Then and only then, really. In glorified bodies filled with the Spirit, we will finally be where we truly belong in an eternal heavenly city with Christ. Now lastly, again, why did Paul go here? Why did he decide to go from heavenly citizenship to talking about something future? If this is as citizens of heaven, if this is our guaranteed future, glorified bodies with Christ, what then should we do with our bodies today? That's the question we have to ask. What should we do then? This is your future Christ is coming. Your body will be transformed. What should we do then today with our bodies until that day comes as citizens of heaven? Well, friends, we are to give these bodies over to death for the sake of one another. That is what we are to do. We are to love others in these bodies, even if it means putting these bodies in harm's way. We are to love others with these bodies. That's what we are to do. That's what Paul did. That's what his followers did. Taking one step after another in these bodies on a march towards death for the sake of our families, for the sake of the church. That's what you do with these bodies. And so in a word, if we could go back, we imitate Paul. We imitate Paul who did this and we imitate others who we see doing this. Paul, at this point, was being poured out as a drink offering in his lowly body for the sake of the gospel. Timothy served Paul like a son with his father in his body for the sake of Christ and for his gospel. Epaphroditus used his body to take a gift from Philippians to Paul. And while on the way, or while Paul was in prison, while on the way to take that gift to Paul, Epaphroditus fell sick in that body and he almost died in that body. Now, thankfully, he was spared by the Lord's grace, but 
That's an example to follow. That's where we look. That's where we set our eyes. To use our bodies in service of one another in love. Why were these men willing to put their bodies to use in this way? What drove them? It's because of this right here in verses 20 and 21, this future reality. Our bodies will be transformed. Do others in the church, I think the question for each one of us is, do others in the church, in our families, see us using our lowly bodies in this way? They see us using our bodies for this purpose, to serve one another in love. That is the question we have to ask. We need to see and find those who do this, and we need to imitate them. Our Savior did did this. Jesus gave his body over to death for us, and it's because of this, this king, no other king, that we are able to say with Paul, our citizenship is in heaven. It's because of what he has done, because what he's doing and what he will do when he comes again. And so, friends, let us then imitate Paul, as he told us earlier. Let us imitate Paul and let us use our bodies in a way that shows us that we actually believe that we are citizens of heaven. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Let's pray together, friends. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that our our citizenship is found there in the heavenly places that we have been redeemed and are destined for an eternal and abiding city that is not yet to be visible, physically seen with our eyes, not yet made visible, not yet able to see with our physical eyes, but nevertheless one that is coming, one in which we are a part. We thank you, Father, that you've given us this great privilege of heavenly citizenship and that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what country we may live in, in this age, ultimately our allegiance and our identity is found above. And so we pray, Father, that you would work in us by your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to use our bodies in love, to use what you've given us and the time that you've blessed us with in this country and the benefits that we enjoy and the privileges that we have as your people to love one another, to serve one another in love so that you might be glorified. Father, we do pray for the nations of the world. We pray for the present empires and countries that exist and for their civil leaders and for the citizens of these places. We do pray, Father, that your grace would be at work in each one of them and that you would especially be with the Christians in these lands. We think of those places that are torn apart by war and disease and civil unrest. We lift up to you this morning the citizens of Haiti, the citizens of Ukraine, the citizens of Israel. We pray, Father, that you would be merciful to them all. We pray in the midst of such storms and war that you would advance the gospel invisibly, powerfully, as we await the return of our Lord and Savior. Father, we pray for our own country. We thank you for this nation. We thank you for the great, many great benefits that we enjoy as citizens of this country. We thank you for our civil leaders and our local leaders. We pray, Father, that your mercy would be at work in them. We pray that you would Uh, Show them your grace and grant salvation uh, to those who don't know you. We do pray that righteous laws would be upheld and that decency and order would be defended so that the gospel might go forth unabated. We pray, though, however, Lord, that even as corruption abounds and as wickedness seems to reign in so many places, we pray, Father, that you would 
Cause the church to set our hopes on what is above. Help us, Lord, to wait patiently for the return of our Savior. Father, we pray for our missionaries whom you've sent out into, world, into the world as we uh, pray this morning for Tina de Young and Leah Hopp, who are both serving in Uganda. Father, bless them and keep them and multiply the fruit from their labors. Father, we lift up to you the work of church planting in our region, asking that you would be with Pastor Sumter and Good Shepherd OPC and New Braunfels OPC and for their leaders and for their members. We pray, Father, that you would continue to raise up new churches and be with those churches in our city that faithfully proclaim the gospel week in and week out. We pray, Father, that you would help us to remain strong in the faith. Father, we lift up to you now the needs of our church, thanking you for all the blessings that you give us from above here at Providence. We thank you, Father, that you provide for all of our needs for both body and soul. We ask that you would be with those especially who suffer and who grieve. We lift up to you this morning Jim Witt, William Scott, John Burleson, asking that your mercy would be at work in them all and show them your grace. We lift up to you Dorothy Lowry, Kay Johnson, Hal Griswold, and uh, Rosalie Gonzalez. We pray that you would bless them all. We pray, Father, for Autumn Broccolo and for the Broccolo family. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would be at work in them and continue to sustain them and give them strength and good rest as they serve Autumn, uh, who is still in the hospital. Father, we do pray that you would hasten the um, hasten the arrival of Autumn uh, into fellowship with us here at Providence and provide for all of her needs. We lift up to the Okorafor family as they search for a home. Father, guide them by your spirit and grant them a proper dwelling place for their family. And Father, we lift up to the Potts family as we thank you for the mercy that you've shown uh, the Potts baby who's currently um, growing in Amanda's womb. We pray, Father, that you would watch over this family and bless them. Continue to stain, sustain the life of this boy, and we pray, Father, that um, you would grant him a safe arrival and, and good health. Father, we lift up to you the pots, and we pray, uh, Father, that your spirit would be at work in them all. Father, we thank you for the Crawfords and for the faith that you've given them, asking that you would bless uh, Jim and Mickey in a mighty way. We pray, Father, that you would provide for all of their needs. We thank you for their participation and service here and for their love for the saints here at Providence. Father, uh, bless them, watch over them, establish their steps in righteousness, and fill us with love that we might uh, serve them and pray for them continually. Father, we thank you that you hear and answer our prayers and that Jesus is present with us where two or three are gathered in his name. So we commit all of these things unto you through him, Jesus, our Savior, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, beloved, we now have uh, the opportunity to respond to the gospel of grace with our free and gracious giving. May the Lord Jesus uh, be pleased to use our sacrifices for the advancement of his eternal kingdom. Amen.
Beloved, I would like to invite you now to turn to the back of your hymnals on page 851. There you will find the Apostles' Creed, which we will confess as a profession of our faith in the gospel. And let us all stand together as we do so, friends. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. If you would now turn in your hymnals to hymn 468, Jerusalem uh, the Golden, hymn 468.
Amen. You may be seated.
Father, that all that is promised to us in, the meal, in this meal, that you would make effectual in the lives of your people to the praise of your glorious grace. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would now turn uh, back into your Trinity hymnals to Psalm 16a, Preserve Me, O My God. Uh, We will sing Psalm 16a, but please remain uh, seated for the first couple of stanzas as our deacons uh, come forward to take the deacons' offering. So please remain seated for the first couple of stanzas for Psalm 16a.
Amen. The friends of God, receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.